Hello and welcome to the weekly commodity market update. I'm Brownfield's Will Robinson, joined as always by the University of Missouri's Ben Brown. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Will. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, you know, got a, an exciting weekend. I went back to Missouri for University of Missouri's homecoming, and uh, you came here, so we yeah. did a little flip flop. <laughs> we probably passed each other on I seventy both ways. But... Uh, yeah. So no, it was a it was a good weekend. Got to catch up with friends, family, and uh, watch a, a scary Mizzou win. So it was all all fun again. Well, hey, they pulled it out though. Pulling it out. That, that's that's the theme, right? Just keep doing. Yeah. Yeah, that South Carolina game coming up looks a little more challenging than what we maybe anticipated. Yeah, and I don't know if that's, you know, credit to Shane Beamer and uh, that South Carolina squad or Texas A&M just being a dumpster fire. But, you know, both can be <laughs> true, I guess, at the same time. So, anyway, looking at the markets, uh, give me an update on the prices. What have we really seen across the past week? Sure can. So over the last week, uh, December corn down two cents to six eighty one. November soybeans down thirteen to thirteen seventy two. Soybean oil up five cents to almost seventy two cents per pound. Soybean meal down two dollars and thirty cents per short ton to four hundred and eight dollars and seventy cents. Old crop wheat for December down twenty three to eight thirty eight, and then new crop July wheat down sixteen cents to eight sixty seven. So uh, some losses there, but what's really led the way down in the market? Yeah, so ethanol production increased for the third straight week, uh, up almost uh, or up over 300 million gallons uh, per week, uh, which is a, a good sign for ethanol production there. Export sales were strong uh, for soybeans and soybean components, especially soybean meal. Open interest futures were flat again for wheat, uh, down 2% for corn, while up 2% for Chicago soybeans. Uh, the cattle on feed report for our livestock friends, uh, you know, was was within expectations, but live cattle futures rallied to fresh year highs. Export inspections were up for corn, soybeans, and grain sorghum, while down for wheat. Uh, wheat expectations fell, or wheat exports fell below all expectations, while soybeans were their fourth highest volume all time. Uh, corn harvest is sixty-one percent, eighty percent complete for soybeans, forty-five percent complete for cotton, all well above their three-year average. And then winter wheat plantings are seventy-nine percent completed as of this last week. So uh, a lot of progress there on both the harvest and the, the uh, planting side for wheat. So really, I'd like to use this episode here today to kind of get a pulse check. You know, obviously, we're, we're fairly uh, through harvest now, you know, right around two thirds of the way complete across the board. So, you know, just looking at where we sit, how are you seeing things shake up on the harvest front and how that's impacting markets? Yeah, no, good question. So I think we're, we're far enough through now that we have a pretty decent idea of what these what the national average yields are going to be um, I think we could see uh, just a few uh, revisions here and there but for the most part I think we've built in a lot of the expectation of, of changes in crop especially the downward revisions um, we kind of got I don't want to say we got surprised um, but certainly the soybean yield number here in October uh, you know was was a pretty big revision and and I think that has all been baked in now and I think we're just going to see some minor tweaks as we move forward. So I think from the production side we're we're largely, you know, finished. Uh the picture and the market expectation is quickly turning to demand. Um and that'll drive the markets over the next 4 to 5 months. Well, just talking about that, you know, the with the supply side largely, you know, figured out becoming less of a question mark. What factors do need do producers need to be watching whenever they're trying to really get a better understanding on the demand front? What's going on? Maybe what trends could be heading their way? 
Yeah, no. Um, so all good questions. And there's a lot uh, to watch and a lot of things to consider. I think I could probably break it down into two or three. So I'll just do my best here to, to give the three that I'm, I'm looking at. One, we're seeing large purchases of product when the U.S. dollar dips. Um, to me, that's a that's a big sign. Um, do I think the U.S. dollar can can continue to increase? Sure, I can. And so I think the dollar uh, has the potential to strengthen through the rest of the year, um, especially as you know um, our Federal Reserve works to tame inflation. Uh, other countries struggling to keep up. I think that just makes our dollar a little bit stronger. So when we see these dips, I think we'll see some some purchases come in. The second thing is the the planted area in South America. I think that has a, a potential um, to be a, a big uh, factor as we you know head into their growing season. I'm, I'm not even talking about just their growing season. I'm talking about their planted acreage because I, I do think they are sitting on um, some, some substantial crop acreage um, that they've pulled out of pasture land to put towards crop production. And then the third thing is maybe this might be a little bit more premature, but as we look ahead to uh, planting conditions here in the United States for 2023, the dryness that we're experiencing here this winter, um, carrying through the winter into uh, next next crop season, uh, it reminds me a lot of what we kind of started to see in 2012, um, the dryness just carrying through uh, the winter into the summer. So, Well, uh, looking back at 2012, uh, yeah, I, I was... I was playing um playing baseball that summer and I was back in school and uh I, I remember it, it was just the whole summer it was I, I don't know there there was anything like it it's just amazingly dry and you know kind of talking about that I, I feel like farmers as you go through this fall and into the winter months and you're starting to see a lot of those water uh, reserves not be replenished we're seeing things like obviously the the rivers going down and, and having issues with barge traffic how nervous does that make growers as you get ready to think about maybe how you're going to go about planting the next year's crop yeah it's it's on producers minds um, i don't think it's front of mind at the moment um you know, it's something I, I think as tra uh, market observers, uh, you know, we probably watch just a little bit more because we're always kind of trying to figure out, you know, these spreads, um, these deferred contracts as well. Um, producers are trying to get their crap out of the ground, uh, depending on where you're at in the country. Uh, it's it's a matter of moving that product uh, along the Mississippi River, as you mentioned. You know, they're having trouble getting uh, product moved. Uh, they haven't had that trouble uh, for a while. And they're running out of storage, and so they're they're kind of learning a little bit from some of the Western Corn Belt folks about how to pile and store grain in, in giant piles um, at the moment. Um, and I so, so I think those are front of mind concerns. The second concern that I think follows the transportation after harvest is is input supplies and, and thinking about um, how we're going to you know source product, where we're going to buy product, what product we're going to buy here this year. Uh, I don't think this is a surprise to anybody, um, but farmers use input purchases in a lot of ways to manage tax liability. Um, and so given some of the, the receipts that we're seeing this year, I do expect a lot of producers will potentially pre-buy um, fertilizer or seed or both, um, chemical maybe to some extent. So I think you know, having those conversations um, over the next couple of months will also be in front of mind. So I don't think we're near to the point where producers are starting to think about 2023 unless they're planting wheat. Um, but certainly a couple other things that kind of tie in with that as we, we look ahead. So, Well, talking about that input front there, you know, uh, obviously last year, that was the, the major headline or one of the major headlines uh, coming out of the, the Russia-Ukrainian uh, tensions there, you know, causing issues when it comes to input prices, but how, 
how likely do you see those strong input prices continue to creep into next year as growers look to get those prices locked in? Yeah, I think they're coming back. Um, or I think we'll see, you know, may, we'll see, but in terms of the, the height of, of prices or the, you know, the, the peak of, of prices in this next year, um, I don't know if we'll see the, the all-time highs that we saw this last year um, and on fertilizer and some other products, but I certainly think we'll see higher products as we move through the year. A um, couple of reasons for that. We're seeing a lot of the same things that led to the higher prices again this year, maybe just looking a little bit different, disguised a little bit different, but we're still going to have strong crop demand um, and that's going to continue to to, you know, pump up those prices, but then also, uh, you know, shortage of energy, um, producing global shortages in fertilizer and industrial products, I think is going to be right there again this year. So, so kind of same thing, just maybe disguised a little bit different. Talking about the, the supply and demand picture moving forward, you know, one of the things we're seeing is maybe some more solar uh, farms or, or uh, a lot of that being contracted into this Midwest crop ground and farmland. So do you really see that as adjusting the the supply picture moving forward uh, to, to any notable extent? Yeah, this is a good question. Um, I think we are seeing uh, supply or let me put it this way, demand for crop acreage uh, going to solar. Uh, very, very impactful in local areas um, in some cases. So. I know you're sitting in Ohio and I have experience in Ohio. Ohio is probably one of the the places where I saw this, you know, the the largest. I don't think we've come anywhere close to that type of pressure here in Missouri. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. Ohio is closer to a lot of population base um, when you think of New York and Pennsylvania and some of those places. Um, but certainly, you know, developers are, are interested in developing cropland, rangeland, what have you, um, for solar development. And so in those localized areas, um, that does have an impact on, on crop prices, cropland prices, because um, it's it's pushing up the demand for that. Um, and it's also, you know, in a lot of ways, slowing down some of the demand uh, on the ag front, the through the ag input supply chain for product. Um, if you no longer need those acres for corn, you're not going to buy as much corn seed or, or what have you. Um, so I do see it happening. Um, but I think what we're finding in some of our research, or at least our data, is that that land is being made up or picked up um, elsewhere in the country. Um, so transitioning some some pasture land, maybe here in the Western Corn Belt into, into crop land um, to kind of make up for some of that uh, that we're you know losing in different spots. So I don't want to, I'm not trying to beat around a sensitive topic because this is a very sensitive topic for a lot of folks. My, my short answer is it has some big supply and demand issues, or at least it has some big implications at a very localized level where these, these uh, solar fields are going in. Um, in the national scale, it's not changing our, our supply and demand picture hardly at all, if any, because we're seeing some of that pick up in other places. Um, it's just, it's unfortunate because I know there's a lot of people um, within these communities where these are going in uh, that are seeing their way of life changed. And certainly I think that's uh, frustrating. Um, and so I want to recognize that, but then also just say, you know, from a national supply and demand picture, I don't think we're seeing much of any of an impact. So uh, moving forward, uh, coming off of a, a light, maybe market moving news week this past week, uh, what should producers really be watching to try and capture some of those those trends? Yeah, pretty straightforward week. Um, we've got an ethanol report coming out on Wednesday at 9, 9.30 a.m. Um, Thursday, we have uh, weekly export sales, ag export sales um, at 7.30 a.m. And then Friday, uh, Commodity Futures Trading Commission data for those open interest and managed money accounts at 3 o'clock Friday. 
All right. Always uh, good information coming out of you, Ben. If you'd like uh, to check out our counterparts, you can do so at the weekly livestock market update with Scott Brown from the University of Missouri and Brownfield's Megan Grebner. Uh, looking ahead, we have uh, also uh, other content that you can follow us here at the weekly commodity market update on brownfieldagnews.com. Ben, thanks for joining me this morning. I'm Will Robinson on Brownfield.